Hi, I'm Richard Buskin, author and co-host of one of those other podcasts, and you're listening to the Fab Four Free For All. Welcome to another edition of the Fab Four Free For All. My name is Rob Leonard, and today I'm your moderator. Joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mitch Axelrod. Hey, folks. And Tony Traguardo. Hi, folks. And today, for the first time ever on our show, we have three guests. Yes. Who have written a book. They've gotten together. They've written a book called The Beatles, Fab Four Cities, Liverpool, Hamburg, London, and New York. Follow in the Fab Four's footsteps. Our guests today are Richard Porter, representing London and Hamburg. Susan Ryan who we see at the fest all the time, representing New York, and my friend, the unofficial mayor of David of, of Liverpool, because I've seen him deal with people in Liverpool, because I've been I've hung out with David in Liverpool. I went on Richard's tour in London. Susan, I've not yet gone on your tour. I apologize. <laughs> so anyway, we are going to make it sound like it's the Beatles. You make it sound like it's the Beatles Olympics, Rob. Representing, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, it's you know, it's like agony and defeat guy. You know, it's the same. <laughs> but that wasn't the Olympics, but that was something else. Actually, it made it seem like a, a like a a beauty show, like you know, and with the sachet that says I'm, New York, I'm, and one says Liverpool, and I'm a uh, Bird Park. I want world okay. peace. <laughs> yes. So anyway, uh, we're going to start off with first of all the our three guests. Just give a little background. We'll start off with uh, with David, and we'll start with David. And, and how did you get into the Beatles? And then, and how how did this all start? Okay, as long as you promise to tell them which side of the car you tried oh, to get God. into. Oh God! Oh God! You son of a bitch! <laughs> I, I will tell the story. I will tell okay. the story because I'm sure you tell all your Liverpudlian friends that Rob Leonard, you were taking me on your little tour of Liverpool. And what did I do? You when we got we had lunch and then we went to your car. And what did I do? I waited on the U.S. American side where I would have gotten in if I was in America, but we're in Great Britain, and of course you guys don't know where to put the steering wheel. So, so I'm waiting on the right hand side of the car, and he goes, "Oh, Rob, uh, you're in Great Britain. You get to go around." I'll drive. So, yes, and you drove. Okay, start it off, David. Okay, so my story with the Beatles um, starts with growing up in the Dingle, where Ringo was from. Literally, came out of my back gate at the bottom of Madryn Street, where Ringo was born. I went to the primary school, or elementary school, uh, that Ringo had gone to, St. Silas. I lived in the Dingle till I was 24. Then my wife and I, uh, we moved out to an area to get away from all the Beatles ties. So the last 30 years, we lived just off Penny Lane. Our three daughters were born in the same hospital as John Lennon and went to the same primary school as John and George Dovedale School, while I am still uh, the chair of the governors at that school. Um, so I've had sort of the Beatles around me all of my life. I got into the music when I started learning guitar, and the first songbook I got was The Beatles Complete. Um, which I still have, battered, dog-eared, full of the wrong lyrics and wrong chords, but I still love it. (laughs) Right. It's shocking. It's shocking. Um, So I've always been a fan of the music. 
and it's through the connection with Dovedale where uh, my daughters were at school. Um, we started doing some fundraising and we wanted to raise some money for the playground and the person who got in touch was Yoko. And uh, Yoko gave a lot of money to the school. And I thought, that's a story somebody should read. And I wrote for uh, the London Beatles fan club magazine, which of course Richard will know well. Um, that's the first thing I ever wrote. Um, it coincided with the time when I got signed off work because I wasn't well. I was in the insurance industry. Um, I never actually went back to my full-time job. I was diagnosed later with fibromyalgia and uh, arthritis. So my doctor told me to find something to do. What are you interested in? I said, well, funnily enough. And I just started writing and I really got the bug. and thought, well, how many people come to Liverpool for the Beatles? Lots. How many want to come? Millions. Why don't I tell the Beatles and Liverpool story? So I went to find a book on the Beatles and Liverpool and couldn't find one. And so it took me nine years, but I wrote one called Liddy Pool. Um, that for me, I was happy seeing that on the bookshelf in a bookstore. I, I was happy at that point. Um, the world obviously wasn't because my life for the last, what, 12, 13 years has just been absolutely insane, um, which is where I've got to meet all you guys over yep. at the fest. Um, first Sorry, time Abbey Road on the river, Washington was the first time we met uh, all those years ago. Um, and I've, I've now either authored or co-authored eight books on the Beatles, um, wow. as well as being a tour guide and a documentary produced for Looking for Lennon. And um, apart from that, yeah, I'm supposed to have retired in theory. <sighs> Why would you do that? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My doctor prescribed the Beatles, so I'm doing what I'm told. <laughs> exactly. You just need a bunch of refills and you'll be good. <laughs> exactly. And a new body, please. <laughs> well, don't we all? Okay, <laughs> let, let's go to Richard Porter. He is the tour guide of uh, the Beatles London. I've been on the tour. I uh, loved it. Uh, how did that all start for you, Richard? Well, uh, hi, guys. Well, I've been a fan since I was about 13 years old. I actually grew up in the Twickenham area, about two miles from Twickenham Film Studios, but was much too young. I was born in 62. In fact, I was born the week Love Me Do entered the top 30 in the British charts. So I missed it first time. I was only, what, seven when they broke up, basically. So um, came and found about 13 in the mid-70s when I was getting into punk. There's me into the Beatles. Um, met loads of people. Met Paul McCartney for the first time in the early 80s. And we used to hang out outside Air Studios in Oxford Street. And we were kind of just hanging out and getting, setting Paul outside there loads of times. Uh, started the London Beatles fan club in, what, 1988? And uh, one reason being, I wanted to meet someone, a, a lady friend, which worked. So I met my wife, Esther, who <laughs> was the third ever member of the club, and we married. <laughs> so that worked. Congratulations. <laughs> my wife, Irina, as well. Esther was from Russia. Sorry, Esther was from America. Irina's from Russia. So wouldn't have met them otherwise, apart from the Beatles. Um, international diplomacy. <laughs> yes, I know. Something like that. And I uh, started doing the tours in the early 90s, kind of as a hobby. I was working in the bank at the time, took about square peg in round hole. So <laughs> I decided that wasn't for me, decided to give it up. And I've been doing the tours pretty much full time for since 1992. Uh, did my first book, Guide to the Beatles London, which came out in the year 2000. It's basically the notes I had for the tour. I had so many notes and research 
which because Clint years on the tours. Um, obviously, did the London Beatles fan club magazine for a long time. Um, tapped to give it up when my first wife the, um, got ill. And um, yeah, I've been doing the tours ever since. Now I'm the manager of the London Beatles store. I was only the, the uh, Beatles coffee shop for 10 years. So uh, that's Beatles, still open, Beatles, right? Beatles. I've been there. Yeah, I, my favorite group is called the Rolling Stones. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> that store's still open, right, Richard? It is, yeah. Yes. My sister got coffee there. All right, good. Yeah, fortunately, <laughs> we had to sell Aberon Studios, open their own shop pretty much next to the studio and kind of brew us out the water. But oh well. And now they're at the London Beatles store, which is a lot bigger. So. <laughs> and uh, Susan Ryan, our fellow New Yorker, who we see at the fest every year, but now she's written a book, or co-written a book, I should say. Well, but she's written other books, by the way. What? She's written other books. Oh, really? Well, I edited know. other books, yeah. Oh, sorry, <laughs> edited. Yeah. But, um, okay, so, um, so I'm obviously from New York, and um, I've been doing my tours probably for the last 15 years or so, um, but my tour was actually originated by another person. And uh, when she moved away, she said, if you want to continue doing these tours, by all means do, and I did. So um, in 2007, um, that woman, uh, uh, Trini Inigos and I, um, were the co-hosts of a DVD called John Lennon's New York. And we took a tour about John Lennon sites in New York City on video. And I became a Beatles fan like Richard in the mid seventies when I was about 14, around 1975. Um, I was uh, going to summer camp and there was uh, on Long Island and there was a girl a little older than me and she casually asked me one day if I liked the Beatles. And I said, yeah, they're okay. And uh, yeah, they're okay became an obsession. So um, I've basically been a Beatles fan for about 47 years plus. Um, I call myself a first and a half generation fan because I was born in 61. So I was a little young when they were on the Ed Sullivan show, but I um, remember the Saturday morning cartoons and I remember seeing Yellow Submarine in the movie theater. And I remember, um, you know, hearing the music on the radio. My earliest Beatles memory is hearing We Can Work It Out on WABC in 1965 and it's about four years old. Um, and prior to the tour guide thing and prior to this book, the book Mitch was talking about was I was the editor uh, and publisher of an online fan fiction magazine called um, Rooftop Sessions for about seven years from the early 2000s. Um, the magazine folded due to a lack of original material and also um, just some family things that came up that the magazine folded. But I did edit four um, editions of short stories from the magazine and um, very proud of that too. Uh, been going to the fest since 1977 and oh, now I'm on staff. So I work at the fests and I moderate the panels in the paperback writer discussion room along with uh, uh, Wally Pedrazic. We share the moderating duties. So I'm firmly, firmly entrenched in Beatle world and have been for a very long time. Um, and Rob, you have not taken my tour. I don't think any of you guys have taken my tour. We have to fix that. I have. I guess David has, Richard has. Well, again, so, you I know, think... <laughs> they came all the way from England. We came all that way. We did. Well, it's, yeah. it's like that whole thing of how many of us that live in New York have been to the Empire State Building or been to, you know, it's, it's crazy. Well, it's admittedly, crazy. it took me until I was 28 to go to the Statue of Liberty, but you've got no excuse now, guys. Come on. <laughs> well, now. you know, we'll, we'll work on it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Uh, and again, this for all of you. 
why why are people so obsessed with walking in the Beatles' shoes and being where they were or seeing their history in all three or all four of the cities, actually? Um, and again, I, I preface that by saying, you know, Hamburg is not usually a destination you hear of when people say, oh, I'm going to I'm going to go to London and Liverpool. That's automatic. But, you know, like no one from San Francisco is going, I'm going to New York just to see where the Beatles were. But and again, we'll get to that, too. And, and you'll you'll tell me that I'm wrong, but or mostly wrong. But what what is it that makes the people want to still be in those shoes of the Beatles or the places they were? David, I think one of, yeah, one of, the, one of the things I've I've found is that whatever sort of grabs you, I think, in the age somewhere between twelve and sixteen, whatever music grabs you, whatever celebrities grab you at that time, that will stay with you for the rest of your life. And I know, um, obviously, I, I was born sixty-five, so of course I, I missed all the Beatles stuff. The band I listened to was Status Quo. Yeah, just sort of a little yeah. bit old hat, but so the the quo were my fab four, right? Mm. That those guys, and they will always be the band that I follow because that was the first concert I went to. I wanted to dress like them. I had all the records. I've still got all the records. They were the guys. I've got their autographs. So that was the music that stayed with me. But obviously, the Beatles music is is what I discovered uh, and what I love. And what I find, and the other two will probably say the same thing, is when we do our tours, we can do the exact same route with two different groups of people, and the tours will be completely different. Mm. And the beauty, particularly of doing private tours, is it's where that person is coming from. Now, funnily enough, uh, just what you were saying then, Mitch, about uh, where you associate with the Beatles, I had a couple of Americans on tour last week and said they've always wanted to come to London and Liverpool. Uh, and I was telling them about the book. And they said, are there any Beatles sites in New York? Hmm. And I said, yeah, yeah, well, don't forget Ed Sullivan. Oh, yeah, and Shay. Oh, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that. And they didn't sort of think of that as New York. Right. Uh, and then obviously I said, well, if you buy the book, then get in touch with Susan, you're laughing. So no, no commission needed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you very much, David. I really appreciate that, actually. It's terrific. No, you know what, David? You know, you're right, though. I mean, as far as we live in New York, and Tony was right. You know, up until a certain time, I never went to the Empire State Building. And maybe we take it for granted because we're here uh, that, you know, the Ed Sullivan Theater is now, you know, the Stephen Colbert, you know, place where he does it. And we don't care. And not that we don't care, but like the Paramount Theater is important. It's in the book. And, but, you know, maybe to New Yorkers, we don't really associate that with the Beatles. Uh, you know, but obviously Central Park we do and stuff, but, you know, maybe because also it's exciting for New Yorkers to go overseas and get the connection there as well. So speaking of overseas, how about you, Richard? What do you feel? Yeah. The, what, why did people need to go on your tour and, and associate with what the Beatles did? I agree with David, definitely. Uh, but also people see it like it's, like it's a pilgrimage and it's recreating things. Abbey Road, I mean, it's the place everyone in London wants to see. I mean, it, it's still to this day, there's a, there's a webcam on the Abbey Road crossing. And every yeah. minute of every day, there's people on that crossing wanting to recreate the, the picture. Forgetting some of the people road. who come to Liverpool, yeah, some of the yeah. people who come to Liverpool want to visit Abbey Road as well. I know, yeah. 
and people go to Liverpool Street Station in London, they're going to see the Cavern Club. So there you go. Well, one thing about the Abbey Road crossing, for those who will do it again or do it for the first mm -hmm. time, when people do it, they tend to do scissor. They put their hands in a scissor formation. And if you look at the Beatles, they're not really in scissor formation. So I didn't kind of realize that until I, I did mine. I realized my, my arms are, are too stiff. And I, I went back and I tried to, you know, fix it. You weren't stoned enough, Rob. Just... Maybe that's true. <laughs> now, I'm going to claim the world record of the number of crossings of Abbey Road. I must have been that, cross, that crossing up 10,000 times. <laughs> And it still <laughs> aggravates the drivers. You know, if I lived in that area, I would avoid Abbey Road at all possible costs. They get annoyed yeah. when people are stopping traffic. And you're kind of like, why? Mm -hmm. the you better to drive here, you know? We have the same problem on Penny Lane. Yeah. People, you know, because all the fans come. There's buses. You know, last week there were four buses lined up on Penny Lane and people just wandering around. And as a local resident, they go berserk. And there's not even a, an official crossing like with Abbey Road. At least you've got a point where you can aim and try and knock over a Beatles fan. I was just about to say, David, you and Richard, you guys must be marks at this point for some of the people oh. in that area. Yeah. Like, the wow. stress. Mm. Well, I at least I know the doormen at the Dakota don't want to run me over, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. You're on the Sue, subway, right, Sue? You're safe. And, and Sue, how about you? Well, um, like, it's really funny what you said about people going to Liverpool Street Station and expecting to see the cavern or David saying they expect to see um, Abbey Road in Liverpool. I get a lot of times, I get, where was the Red Gates when I take people to Strawberry Fields in Central Park? And mm. my response is the Red Gates are in Liverpool, so you need to take a trip 3,000 miles across the ocean <laughs> to see them there. Um, fortunately, I don't get that often. Um, but I think people want to walk in the Beatles' footsteps, and, and a lot of times people don't realize there's a group um, history, in addition to just John Lennon's history, of course, because of course he lived here, so people associate him with New York City, and of course we have Strawberry Fields in Central Park, which is a memorial to him, but people don't always realize that there are multiple sites, aside from the Ed Sullivan Theater and the Plaza Hotel, that are Beatles-related in New York City, and there is a great connection to New York, and what I find is that Beatles fans find me, they either find me by word of mouth, they find me because they've gotten my card at a fest, or they find me because they look on the internet. Um, and um, they really do want to, it's like living vicariously. It's like living that bit of history. And like David said, when you are between the ages of say 12 and 16, that music stays with you for, your, for life. I was 14, I was exactly the right age, and it didn't matter that it was 10 years after the Beatles came to America. It did to me exactly what it did to girls, you know, 10, 11 years previously, or the same age I was at the time. So I think when you are that kind of a fan, you look for those places. And so what I find with my tours in New York is I get people who have actually got out of their way to look for a Beatles-related thing in New York City. And they know what they're looking for, and they find me. It, it's funny, Sue, because I remember years and years ago, I was... Um when I started doing, doing radio, we had a chance to get, you know, work with Ray Coleman and mm -hmm. Ray had come to New York and was staying at the Warwick. Uh -huh. And I remember uh -huh. it just sort of being mind blowing because it was the first time when I, I, you know, I made a connection for myself with one of those places, you know, I yeah. mean, 
you know, I'd been to, you know, how many different times you go past the Ed Sullivan Theater or whatever. But that was, and, and there was that certain kind of vibe of, of yes. the, you know, going in that hotel, going in that elevator, going up to, you know, meet Ray. And, and it was, it's, it's, it is very cool. Yeah, it is. Definitely. I've, I've done weed in the Delmonico. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I listened, to Dylan? I, I listened to Dylan. He wasn't there. Though. There you go. Good luck <laughs> to you. If you found the Delmonico these days, it's not there well, anymore. That's, that's, Delmonico. Right. that's true. That's right. But wow. the, uh, so, David, with you, I mean, we want to go through each one of you, but we don't want to give away the book because, I mean, you know, meaning give away what's in the book because there's so much great stuff there. And just to let people know that you guys have also connections, you know, within the, you know, every city and everything. And I, and I think there, there's a lot of humor. It, it, it's really, the book is fantastic, number one. But um, without giving away everything, can can each one of you say what your, what the, top three sites maybe not maybe the top three but the maybe your favorite sites to visit maybe you know because again maybe the top site for david might be strawberry fields but maybe that's not the favorite of people so each one of you can you give your three sites that you really love to show um i always like going to penny lane um, and it seems an obvious one but when i was working on my liddypool book all those years ago and living in the area Everything I'd read about why the song was written, how it was written, it had never completely made sense. I thought I was just a throwaway song until I understood the area and understood the geography. And it's only then that the song comes to life. Yeah. Um, because there's three penny lanes and there's nothing I like better than when I'm on a tour to stand at the penny lane roundabout and just explain what the song means. And what most people don't get is that when they're singing it in their ears and in their eyes. Penny Lane was the center of the childhood for John, Paul and George. It's not just a little little place where they visited occasionally. Their whole childhood revolves around that area and those places. The barber was real, the banker was real, the fireman was real. And the most exciting thing I found all those years ago was, not only was the pretty nurse real, but the John Lennon relaxed first, not Paul. McCartney because I found out who the nurse was and the nurse was the girlfriend of John's best mate Pete Shotton and wow. Beth married Pete Shotton and John put his best friend's wife in a Beatles song and nobody knew and wow. suddenly the whole song came to life for me because that's where John grew up that was his first five years was spent in Penny Lane hey David quick question for you does do you still get people who think that the nurse was selling puppies from a tray Oh my goodness, the amount of times, yeah. That comes up all the time. She was not selling dogs. They were poppies. It's, it's one of those things in translation. It actually came up um, two weeks ago um, again. And we got into this conversation of mishearing lyrics. Oh. And, and complaining. You know, that these Liverpool lads were singing. And for American ears, it was hard to understand. I said, well... The Liverpool lads had the same thing. That was the problem that, um, you know, Paul mentions on the day John met Paul when they were singing the Dell Vikings, come go with me. And Paul says, oh, it's great. He's thrown in this line about going down to the penitentiary. He wasn't thrown. The line is those lads listened to the radio and listened to the record and still couldn't work it out. <laughs> now, I listened to a digitally remastered version of the song. I couldn't work it out. <laughs> I still had to look it up because it makes no sense. 
So these lads were tuning in, like on Radio Luxembourg or Armed Forces Network, late at night. So the reception's not great, it's crackly. And they got a pen and paper and they're scrubbing down what they think they were hearing. Unless they were John Lennon and he went and actually stole the record from the local record store. <laughs> you, this, is how, this is how you got your lyrics. And if you couldn't understand them, you made them up. Mm. And so, yeah, there's misunderstandings on, I think one of the first ones I heard was, you know, on a heart that's oh so true. Now, he said, I couldn't work out why it was a hot bath oh so true. We get all kinds of what you're stuff. doing, you know. <laughs> yeah. well, a yeah. hot bath can be oh so true. <laughs> no, if, you, if you're taking weed at the Delmonico, this is true. <laughs> there you go. Was there a spike more connections, camera in David, that room? More connections. <laughs> also, let me ask you a question, David. How, the a garden... How do you how do you say the word garden fate? It's fate. Yeah, obviously F E T E fate. It's obvious. <laughs> we it's couldn't garden feet. feet. I, mean, I would say feet. But well, you got two of those. Um, <laughs> Thank so you. So you had to pick one. No, it's, it's, no, it's not the language. ruddles. It's not the ruddles, David. It's it's. Oh, no, sorry, I, I just have to go into that. Unfortunately, <laughs> this is what my tours end up like. Because <laughs> I do most of them with my friend Ian, and we've just over the years developed this double act, and people just sit back and most of the time they can understand us. You want to know something? Um, though I think it's great because the Beatles represented humor in so many ways. So if, you, absolutely. if all of you were just boring, and I'm sure there's humor on every tour, because yeah. if they're not, then it could yeah. get just you know, it could get like reading Wikipedia if we read, oh. read Wikipedia and, and did our show. It would just be really boring. So I'm, right. I'm yeah, glad. it's got to be the personality's got to be there, and yeah, it's one of those things. You, in Liverpool, you learn to sort of, to argue and to fight with your mouth years before you fight with your fists. <laughs> oh, I got a question for the three of you. Wait, hold on. Oh Rob, wait, he I'm hasn't sorry. talked about the other two. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought we were and jumping around. No, 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 no. Give me another continue. forty-five I'm minutes. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll be finished with my three. <laughs> so. All right. So quickly, the other two. How's that? Yeah, was, St. Peter's, St. Peter's Church, where John met Paul. I say to everybody, that is where the Beatles start, 6th of July, 57. At that time, the quarryman was John and his mates. There was mates they grew up with, they went to school with. They were having fun. Everything changed when Paul joined. So that is the place. If you want to go to an important place, St. Peter's Church also. I, I love taking people there. And the third one is the one I discovered when I was doing Liverpool, which I'd never heard of, which was the Casbah. Hmm. And the Casbah Coffee Club, historically for the Beatles, is more important than the Cavern. Uh, it's the birthplace of the Beatles. They were playing there before they went to the Cavern. In fact, it was Mona Best who ran the Casbah, who got the Beatles into the Cavern. But of course, the Cavern is where Brian discovered them and where John Paul, George and Ringo played and made it famous. But the Casbah is the big, big surprise for everybody, where you can see this club, where you've got a whole ceiling hand-painted by John Lennon. And you just put your hand up and touch it, and it's there. Where he scratched his name into the wall, where Paul McCartney painted the ceiling, where George painted the walls. There is so much history in there, and it's authentic. And that is always the wow factor. So I always say, St. Peter's, that's where the Beatles start. Penny Lane, this is what the song means. And the Casbah, this is the birthplace of the Beatles. Wow, cool. I can do brief. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've seen your brief. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't at the Delmonico. <laughs> <laughs> that, wait, wait, that wasn't you? 
<laughs> now I must have been really stoned because I thought it was you. Anyway. <laughs> that was me with my three heads. Yep. <laughs> How about you, Richard? Dog of two heads, right, David? Sorry. <laughs> Okay. That's a quo reference. Quo reference. Right. <laughs> okay, London. Uh, well, the place in my picture here, number three, Savile Row, is going to be right up there. Of course, five Emmys last night. So well done, Beatles. Um, of course, not only the rooftop, of course, the whole building, Apple, was uh, quite interesting place. And actually got the book, The Longest Cocktail Party by Richard DeLillo, which is absolutely hilarious about all the stuff that went on inside. And um, I met loads of people that uh, worked there. I met Derek Taylor, for instance, many years ago. And uh, that was fun. And I met loads of people that worked at Apple. Um, in 2019, we got a blue plaque erected on the building. Finally, there's now a commission for the Beatles there. So we finally got to go a committee and we got that plaque put on the building, which is great. I've been on the rooftop a few times. This bit's a picture I took. I've been up there a few, about four times now. It normally cannot, it cannot get on the roof, but I've been up there four times, which is we, great. We've got to get a plaque that says, here is where Paul and Mal dragged uh, uh, Michael, Michael and up on the roof like a walrus. If you've yeah. seen Get Back, it's like, wait, what, what? <laughs> yeah. That was like the most hilarious thing. I, I love that <laughs> part in part two. Yeah. And when we um, unveiled the plaque, we had a party on the street and a lot of members of the Apple Scruffs came along. Oh, cool. They oh, were wow. outside. Uh, Kevin Harrington, who is, of course, the guy had, holding up the lyrics for John for Digger Pony, you got set up all the equipment. It's the Beatles roadie at the time. He's, he's, he was very. He was really with the Beatles from '68 till the end of their career, really setting up all the equipment in Abbey Road and on the roof. So very important guy, very modest guy, and really nice. And uh, we had a couple of musicians along, and they sang Apple Scruffs to the Apple Scruffs outside Three Savile Row. They were standing on the steps in their usual place, and that that was great fun. And um, I actually had a bit of an involvement in Get Back because. Apple had this footage of two of the, the scruffs being interviewed in 69 outside Savile Row. Hmm. And Apple got in touch with me to ask if I knew who it was who was interviewed. And I got in touch with Sue, one of the Apple scruffs. She couldn't remember. But then Apple sent me a screen grab from the film. It was Sue being interviewed. Oh, <laughs> she wow. couldn't remember. Ah! Her and her friend Eileen. And um, they get a credit because of that. Oh, nice. And um, we went to a screening, a screening of the highlights to get back a few days before it's on Disney Plus. And it's the first time Sue and Eileen have seen each other in 50 years. Oh, wow. Wow. So I was at their reunion as well. So that was cool. Well, that's neat. See the Beatles bring people together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Always. So uh, certainly it's, it's got a lot more popular in the last uh, few months, Savile Row. A lot, more, yeah, lot sure. more people go there than they used to, that's for sure. Now, it so, used to be uh, an Abercrombie and Fitch, right? What is it yeah, now? Yeah, it is. It's they're still their offices. They got Weirdly, they had, the shops moved. They've still got their offices there and hmm. storeroom, I think. So you could actually, when it was Abercrombie, you can actually go into it. It hmm. had changed a lot. The only room yeah. that was similar was uh, John and Yoko. Well, Timberland Cards of Architecture was John and Yoko's office, Bad Productions. Hmm. Uh but the rest of it had changed completely. The Beatles wrecked the place, basically. <laughs> they, they had to gut the whole thing, pretty much, when the Beatles moved out. And it's been done at least twice since as well. So uh, I've been in a few times, but it has changed a lot. 
But the rooftop looks fairly similar. I mean, you can, there's that structure on the number two Savarel, that glass, that's glass structure, that's still there, for instance. It almost looked like a greenhouse, you know? Yeah, mm. it's just the, that's what I thought it was to start. It's just kind of the entrance of the, the building, of the rooftop next door at number two Savarel. Oh. That, it was not that's a greenhouse as such. Yeah, it's just a, a glass entrance to the roof. And yeah. what's the other two for you? Well, obviously Abbey Road is the obvious one. Uh, which everyone visits. Uh, you all know about Abbey Road. Uh, one uh, quick story. Uh, many years ago now, I had a, a guy from recently from North Korea on the tour, my tour. He managed to get across the border into the south and became a Beatles fan because you cannot hear the Beatles in North Korea, obviously. And he wanted to come to London and we got to Abbey Road. He dissolved into tears. It's like a symbol of his oh. freedom, really. Getting to, to Abbey Road, just seeing a, yeah, the, the crossing. That was oh. one of the moments, I think, when I was doing tours. So, yeah. That's really So, um, yeah, going and seeing all the people trying to get themselves killed on the crossing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah. Richard, you got to say that there's a, everyone's, there are many people who get confused with the, the, the tube stations. Oh, God, yeah. A few years ago, about 10 years ago now, uh, they opened a new uh, st a station on the Duck Docklands Light Railway, part of the underground, called Abbey Road, and it's in oh. st near Stratford, near the Olympic site, about ten miles from Abbey Road itself. <laughs> it's only when you get to Abbey Road, there's a sign up saying, "Oh, uh, by the way, this isn't Abbey Road, the Beatles? You're going to go to St John's Wood." Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what oh, I mean, man. what are going to do next? They call up Station Buckingham Palace out that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, foot for love and name for it, you know. Well, you could have a picture of Queen in, at, at the end of the queue for Buckingham Palace. There you yeah. go. Or Freddie Mercury dresses. Sorry, wrong one. Yeah, wrong one. I know. And what so, would be the third one for you, Richard? Third one. I think it has to be 34 Montague Square, Ringo's apartment. Hmm. Not only did Ringo live there with Maureen, of course, where Zach, you know, with baby Zach. Jimi Hendrix lived there. And then mm -hmm. after that, John and Yoko. John... Sorry? Didn't he also wreck the place or no? Sort of. No, it's been lots again. The, every book you read has something different about why he was kicked out. Basically, it was the noise. <laughs> it's, every one, one book said he painted the whole place black. The other, the other said it was into psychedelic. Is that opposite? <laughs> but I mean, according yeah. to, to Kathy Etchingham, who was living here, it's basically because of the noise. Hmm. But um, then, uh, of course, John and Yoko, the Two Virgins album cover picture was taken there. Right. <laughs> and it's, of course, where John and Yoko got busted for marijuana by Sergeant Pilcher. Because <laughs> <laughs> that led indirectly to John and Yoko going to New York and getting all the, the other and the connections between the cities yeah. and that and the, you know, the problems with Nixon and everything else. Yeah. And, Perfect uh, segue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the guy owns the the only guy that um, lives there now is a tailor called Henry Rose, who actually makes clothes in the basement where John and Yoko had the two virgins picture taken. Oh, <laughs> ironic. Tailor making clothes. He's actually clothing people where they were naked, taking their <laughs> Yeah, shoulders. exactly. And he, he actually worked with Stella McCartney for a while and made clothes for Paul as well. So he, wow. he lives there now. That's so he, brings it all around. Yeah, connections. <laughs> Absolutely.
Sue? Um, so obviously one of the favorite places people always want to see is Strawberry Fields in Central Park. Um, the memorial to John Lennon, because of course, um, John lived and unfortunately died in New York City, but this memorial is a living memorial to him. There's always people there, people want to take photos. I literally have to tell people that they have to jump in and get a photo when they have a chance because people are just constantly trying to take photos. So I tell them, don't be polite, just get in there and I'll take your picture real fast. <laughs> don't be polite. Be a New Yorker, don't polite, be polite. You'll never get your photos, seriously. <laughs> Um, so that's, when in that's Rome, pretty much, right? exactly, yeah. you know, learn to be a New Yorker, come on yep. now, really, they're very nice people, I don't know, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, Strawberry Fields is the place that most people really want to see, so obviously it's a favorite place, I used to live not too far from there, so I would go there all the time, um, you know, and was there constantly, like, on, even when I wasn't doing tours, I was there all the time. I used to take my son there when he was little, we'd picnic, you know, that kind of thing. So it's popular with families. It's popular with um, people who are huge John Lennon fans, huge Beatles fans. They all want to see it. The other places, um, the Ed Sullivan Theater, um, you know, they, people want to see that because, especially if, they're, if they remembered seeing the Ed Sullivan show, it was a very big deal to see where that happened. And um, unfortunately, you can't get inside unless you have tickets to Colbert. They don't give tours. And mm. tickets to Colbert are about three years out. So you kind of can't even get a ticket at the last moment, unfortunately. But they like to see the outside and they like to hear about it. And in 2014, on the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' arrival in America and appearance on Ed Sullivan, um, it was when David Letterman was still there and they covered the marquee with a um, scrim that made it look like it did the night the Beatles were on. And so um, there's a lot of people who took my tour that weekend because the fest was in New York um, that weekend. It was in Manhattan, which it hadn't been in years. And I did three enormous tours that weekend, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Richard came along on them, he knows, and David came along on one of them also. And um, people were really excited to see the the marquee the way it looked then. Um, and of course, uh, if people have seen the film I Want to Hold Your Hand, which came out in 1979. Uh, they know the Ed Sullivan Theater and how well it was recreated in that film. So people like to see that. And the Plaza Hotel, people like to see the Plaza. Really? Especially um, if, if they're American, some of them have seen the footage well, from all over the world, actually. They've seen the, the newsreel footage of the people outside the Ed Sullivan Theater. And um, I've got a couple of personal connections there. Like um, there's a, a, a girl about 13 years old who shows up in video all the time holding a sign that says, Elvis is dead, long live the Beatles. Mm. And that's my friend Irene. And <laughs> I became friends with her through the fest. And she pops up everywhere. And I have a picture of Irene that I show during my tour. She pops up everywhere yeah. because it's news footage. So like she, she's shown up in Japanese TV commercials. She's shown up in uh, television credits. She showed up in the reel that scrolls on the screens at McCartney concerts. You know, he oh, kind of cool. goes through his entire career. And there's Irene. She scrolls by. And so when <laughs> I show that to people and, and they saw the newsreels, if they're old enough to remember the newsreels, they go, oh, my gosh, I saw that girl. Um, and um, they love to see the plaza. And, and well, it used to be before the pandemic. Unfortunately, they don't really do in there now. But the plaza was also... I hate to say it, the plaza was a restroom stop. So we would go in and we'd go to the public restroom. But people <laughs> would get really excited going inside the plaza hotel. They were just so thrilled that they were walking in where the Beatles went. And the plaza, unfortunately, doesn't allow you into the lobby or the elevators. So you can't get to where they stayed. 
because it's now about 60% condos. So they right. don't allow it. If you don't have a key to a room or a key to an apartment, you can't get in. But yeah. people get really excited walking through the plaza. They love it. Wow. So um, but mostly Strawberry Fields is the place. And right. um, they really want to see it. Um, I have given that that bit of the tour to people from all over the world, from Europe, from Asia, from Australia, from America, from Canada, you name it. They all want to see that. Um, and um, you know, I always have to ask people, though, because we cross the street and we go over by the Dakota after that. And that's when we tour end by the Dakota. But I always have to ask people if they're okay to go over there. It can be a very emotional place for people. Oh, and yeah. um, standing on that spot on the sidewalk and looking at where, unfortunately, John died is very, very difficult for some people. Mm. And so, um, you know, I, I try to leave people with something uplifted and that is that John didn't just die in New York. He lived in New York. He wanted to live in New York. He chose to live, you know, in after living for growing up in Liverpool, living in London, he came to New York and he chose to be a New Yorker. And so I try to leave people with that. He wanted to be in this city and, you know, we have to think about how he lived rather than how he died. So it's one of those things. But people you know, like I, to make that document. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because when I was talking to Tony off mic uh earlier and i said you know with the two tours from you know liverpool and i know we're not talking about hamburg right now but with the two because obviously no one's giving a tour of hamburg um but when you know tony and i were talking and i said you know with the two tours for richard and david it's it's got to be happy stuff and with yours it goes from triumph to tragedy you know from the sullivan to the murder. I mean, you said yeah, he died. Well, he was, you know, Rob always says he ki he was killed, and he's he right. Was murdered. Yeah, he was murdered. It's true. So, I mean, I, yes, I'm glad you handled that true. well because it, I was thinking how that must be tough for you because everybody's so happy and happy and happy and wow, we did this. We just saw, and then all of a sudden it gets to well, yes, that. It can. It, you have to handle it delicately, you know. Mm. And and yes, I, I I don't I don't fudge it normally, and I say yes, John was murdered because we all know it, and I yeah. can't get around the bush with that. You know? Well, I, I got um, a question for the three of you, and the question is, how did you guys decide to write this book? And you know, each of you have done individual things with your tours, and and like David said, he's done Liddypool, and Richard did his. Uh, I have the book, the London book, and and Susan, you've been doing this for a while. How did you guys get together and decide that? this should be a book because you know hamburg i wouldn't have thought about but the other three are all are all connected in many ways and not just because the, the beatles were there i mean to me when i was in liverpool um i felt very connected to the people in liverpool and i you know that include the cab driver who was asking about the philadelphia flyers because his son likes nhl hockey uh yep. when i was in the cavern some guy heard me speak and he goes, mate, let me buy you a beer. You're from America. And then he got in a fight with someone. And, <laughs> and then in London, I felt the same way. And not as much as Liverpool, but in London, I felt very connected in spirit, not just because the Beatles were there, just in, you know, New York City is, a, you know, can be a loud place and, and we're in everyone's face sometimes. But I felt a connection with uh, Liverpool and London. So I was wondering how, you guys came up with the decision to do the book and have you all been on each other's tours? I, you know, that's another thing too. Well, I think you, you've sort of answered in a bit of a way of, of why we did it. And um, for me, 
with the initial idea was I'd never planned to visit America. You know, when thinking of holidays that I'll go into Europe um, until I went on to do my first Beatle event, which was up in uh, for Charles Rose night up in uh, Stanford, Connecticut. So I came over there at the end of 2010. And it was a Thanksgiving weekend. And I thought, well, I've got some spare time. I'll take the train down to uh, New York, go to Manhattan. And when I came out onto the streets and I looked at it, and exactly you said, Rob, I felt at home. And up until that point, I could never understand why John Lennon, John Lennon would want to live in New York. I think of all the places in the world you could live, why would you want to go and live in New York? It didn't make sense until I got there. Yeah. And that, I get it. I completely get it. New York is just a very, very big Liverpool. Hmm. London I agree with that. Is, is a big Liverpool. And when Richard and I went to Hamburg and we go down by the river, it's just like being in Liverpool it's or happening. being in New York. Mm-hmm. And it was that connection that I'd started with, with, with the Liverpool-New York one uh, all those years ago. Mm. And Richard and I had been talking and said, we've got to find a project at some point to work on together. Yeah. Um, and I said to him, well, what do you think? And we started those things. You now, Richard said he felt comfortable in Liverpool. and said, well, I've got that with New York. Why don't we talk to Susan? And that's it. It's while you were in Liverpool, wasn't it, Susan? It was. We yep. David originally um, proposed this to me. I was in Liverpool in 2017, and he, we got together, and he proposed this to me. And we it took a while for us to sort of all three of us to come together. But like we were saying, David, it's funny. Um, in 2017, I spent 10 days in Liverpool. So I was there for a, a chunk of time, and, and it was the first time I'd been there for more than a day at a time. And it's it's just like what you said, though. I stepped outside of the place I was staying, which was right in the city center, and it was like coming home. It was crazy. I, I rarely feel that comfortable in another city. There's very few places that will make me feel instantly comfortable, and Liverpool was one of them. And I think I even mentioned it in my intro in the book, like when I'm standing, the first time I was standing at the pierhead, looking at the river and looking at the Royal Peninsula across the way and going, it looks like standing in Manhattan looking at Brooklyn. It was so familiar <laughs> and so comfortable. And there was also this, in all three cities, because I've not been to Hamburg, in all three cities, there's a sensibility of the people. There's this idea that people from these cities are a certain way, you know, New Yorkers are rude, Liverpoolians are this, you know, Londoners are that. And yet, underneath all of that way that people think we are, we are all very, very similar. There's a sensibility to the people. Um, there's a, a friendliness and, and cheerfulness to the people in all of these places, willing to help tourists, willing to want to show off our towns. So there's very much a similarity in the outlook as well. Yeah, definitely. and it's it's so. So when David and Richard approached me with this idea, I didn't even have to hesitate. It was one of these. Okay, absolutely, let's do it, and we did. And that's why there's no Beatles France because we don't want those French people. Kidding. <laughs> we just lost our French listeners. It was right out the window. Right, we'll take the Statue of Liberty back now. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> Tell us how the Beatles progressed. Liverpool first, conquered Liverpool, went to Hamburg, conquered Hamburg, London, in, it, um, conquered the UK, went to New York, conquered the world, you could say. That's how the Beatles went. And 
they probably felt at home in each city as well. Yeah. To start with kind of outsiders when they first went, but in each city they were welcomed and became part of the, almost from the furniture, you could say, almost certainly in the outside of Liverpool. I mean, they came to London. It's like, oh, what's some Liverpool? Then, of course, they're, then they're part of swinging London and they're all part yeah. of the scene. So same in Hamburg as well. Like, uh, oh, you know, <laughs> don't want them here, but uh, Denny, Derry and the seniors, wasn't it? Saying we don't want them in, in Hamburg. They ruined the scene. They, were, <laughs> yeah. they, they conquered, the, conquered Hamburg. And that's how the Beatles went. That's their progression. Well, I, I have um, a question. We, well, uh, Tony, you haven't, you haven't asked many questions. I, I don't want to bust in on Tony. You have a question, Tony? Well, no, I mean, the main, you know, you guys have covered some of the questions that, that I had been thinking about. But my my thought was, again, relating to sort of with Sue with the ups and downs emotionally with what goes on. When you guys bring people on the tour, what would you say, and David, you alluded to it with the Casbah, but as far as when you bring folks around, two thoughts. First, how do you handle the emotional outbursts? You, you're bound to have people who are going to, I won't say fall apart, but they're going to really get very emotional about a specific site. And the truth is, obviously, it's a tour you have to move on. And, and secondly, um, for the folks that are with you, what are sites that you feel are the, oh my God, moments that catch them off guard, that make them not realize how move they were going to be being in a certain spot than when they actually are standing there. So it's kind of a twofold question there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we will all get people who are emotional. I, uh, a lady about three weeks ago who was here and what often happens is probably about three quarters of the tours we do are for Americans and they'll be the first generations. They'll have watched Ed Sullivan and they've waited for all these years. And for us as guides, we know that this is their once in a lifetime trip to go somewhere they have waited decades. And so, you know, we put everything into making that day special. And one of the great things we're doing, uh, private tours, majority of mine are, are private tours. Um, I, I don't do many bus tours, is that if they need more time at a certain location, that's fine. And it would just wait, give them time. And this lady got upset on, on two or three different places. First of all, because um, a lot of them come off now off the cruise ships. We get about 100 cruise ships into Liverpool every year now. And so suddenly you got a couple of thousand fans wanted to go and see everywhere. And they come off and they're so excited. And, you know, because they've been waiting for so long and they can't get all the words out. So you get all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, it can be different sites. And, and that's one of those things that sometimes it can be Mendips when they get to the house that John grew up in because they know that John was murdered back then. So coming to where he was as a child is very emotional. Um, and quite often one of those big gasp moments is when you start to go through, well, this was John John's childhood, um, which is sort of what we did with the Looking for Lennon film, which was, you know, taken away from his mum when he's five. He comes here to live with Mimi. He's not with his mum and his dad. And then you, when you explain, his uncle George, who's his father figure, drops dead suddenly when John's 14. So mm. and then you turn around and say, and over the road there when he was 17, his mum was killed. When you put those, that can be 
a very emotional point because we know how badly affected John was by losing his mum. Yeah. And there's a lot of tragedy there. And that's one of those times when certain things click. You can just see it in the faces of the fans thinking, okay, I'm starting to understand John a little bit better now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so yet you, you allow them just whatever time they need and they'll normally be the one go, Oh, right. Okay. Mm. I'm okay now. And, And off we go. And it's just being able to give them that time because this is probably the only time in their life they're ever going to do it. We say, right, like, where, where are you going to go? I mean, you've agreed it all beforehand, where are you going to take them? Right. But you just give them that time at whatever location it is for them so that they can, you know, have their memories. Sometimes they'll tell you what it is. Sometimes they'll just apologize. You know, it's like nothing to apologize for at all. Right. Right. Uh, well, David and Richard, is, um, is, is Hamburg as naughty as people th- uh, talk about over the years? Was we have absolutely no idea. Uh, ooh, so no, my no. lawyer told me to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, because we heard it was the naughtiest city in the world. Uh, we we'd heard that as well. Yeah. <laughs> no first-hand knowledge, right? <laughs> no, absolutely not. And the well, fact I was there for five days, two months ago, was for research. <laughs> yeah. It was for research. More yeah. research. The book's at already midnight. out, David. Why was it at midnight? Well, well, we did, work, no we did walk down Herbert Strasse, didn't we, David? We were forced to. Yeah, yeah. no. There was a big gate, and we said, "Don't make us go there." And said, "You have no, to walk down there." No, we mustn't do this. No, no. <laughs> and those girls must have been freezing. Absolutely freezing <laughs> cold. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so we were thinking of starting a charity to, just to buy them some clothes to wear. Yeah, <laughs> you're a good man, David. Go to 34 Montague Street. He's the tailor. He'll get you some clothes. <laughs> there you go. He spends his time clothing naked people, right? Exactly. They're all emotional <laughs> naked people. It works. Yeah, but we, we certainly gave up the idea of looking for two virgins. <laughs> you know, I, I have to tell you, and I've said this story before, going back to the emotion, um, I, I was there first uh, in Liverpool in February of 96 uh, when the... Uh, Liverpool coach died and um, I was in the cavern and everybody started singing. You'll never walk alone. Now, now for me, you'll never walk alone. You know, I I know maybe Richard and David won't know this, but you know, Jerry Lewis sang that on Labor Day telethons at the end of each telethon. So it meant something to me because I was involved with the, with the organization, but it meant something totally different to, uh, you know, for the, the Liverpool football club. And, when he passed and we were in the cavern and Len Garrett was there that night, they just, my buddy and I, they just grabbed us and, and just started singing. And, and it didn't matter who we were or where we were from. They just grabbed us and, and we all started singing, You'll Never Walk Alone. It was like one of the most emotional moments, even though I knew I wasn't in the, in the correct cavern. <laughs> uh, but it didn't matter because, no. you know, again, I felt like, wow, I was so at home. It just felt like, and from then on, you know, walking down the streets and stuff, it just, I felt like I was in New York, just a smaller New York. So, you know, it was such a great feeling, you know? Yeah, but there's definitely that sense where wherever we go amongst those cities. Um, I think one of the other things that sort of inspired us that sort of Richard was saying before was John's quote of, I was born in Liverpool, but grew up in Hamburg. Hmm. Um, and we, we, I just sort of paraphrased it, reached maturity in London and immortality in New York. It was 
it was just taking that that progress that if if you want to follow the path of how the Beatles became famous, how they reached that, you've got to go and look at their apprenticeship. You've got to see where they started in Liverpool as kids. You know, they did not just have a stroke of good luck like you can get on a, one of these uh, talent shows. You know, they worked thousands of hours and they put the hard work in. And when you follow that through Liverpool, through Hamburg, through London, through New York, you realise they deserve their success. Because mm. not, yeah. not always do the most talented people get the recognition they deserve. But they worked so, so hard. And I was amazed when I was, I was working on Liverpool that they, like, I'll make a list of the venues they played. There's over 100 of them just in the Liverpool area between the, the Quarrymen and the Beatles that they played. Most people think, don't know that. They think, oh, they played the Cavern. Yeah, exactly. No. And they were yeah. playing, like, quite often they would be playing three gigs a day. They play the cabinet at lunchtime, another gig, and then come back and finish at the cabin that night. You know, and then look at the six or seven hours a night they were playing in Hamburg. You know, they they worked really, really hard for what they got. I want to say something about the emotionality of the Beatles. Because yeah. uh, um, in 2019, I organised the 50th anniversary celebrations, the Beatles walking across Abbey Road, which is just four guys walking across a road. <laughs> Uh, I reckon a thousand people turned up to the crossing that day, literally all over the world, who organised their holidays, especially to do that. And there's people uh, proposing marriage to each other on the crossing yeah. that day. Yeah. Uh, my friend Joe Kane, who's a, is a, he pays Paul in a, we had a band uh, posing as the Beatles on the crossing. And Joe proposed <laughs> to his, his girlfriend, Lindsay, on the crossing as part of the anniversary celebrations. Uh, the, the band arrived in a replica of John Lennon's Sucklet Rolls Royce, my friend owns, which is quite fun. And it was on TV around the world, literally around the world, front page of one of our national newspapers, The Guardian. And it's just, this is just four people on the crossing bringing people all over the world together. And the, the love that day was, you can almost mm. cut of a knife. It was just like, the tangible the love for the Beatles and everyone else and that was just that was an amazing that's probably my highlight of my being doing the Beatles tours basically was that organizing that is very strong you know I mean it's it there's always emo an emotional connection I think because the Beatles mean so much to so many people mm. that um and I find that um yeah I've had people I've had people fall apart I mean they, a lot of times yeah. I've had people cry at the Dakota oh, or yeah. at the Strawberry Fields um, or, yeah. you know, whatever. And, and that's okay. You know, like David said, you give them the time to collect themselves. And since we're doing these tours, you know, privately most of the time, where we give them the time that they need. I tell people, I'm not going to rush you through something. If you're having an emotional moment, please feel free. And, and, but it's interesting to me how many, many, many people have this absolutely visceral emotional connection to these four guys. Mm. You know, I mean, we are among them. The six of us that are, are sitting here oh, right yeah. now are all among those people. And yeah. but there are millions of people like us, you know, and, and I, I've started this year. It's funny because I don't just talk about Beatles fans or Beatles people. Since the pandemic, I've been saying things like Beatles community. Mm, yeah. Because it's more than just a collection of fans, more than just a collection of people. It's a true community. We all know each other, support each other, um, you know, 
feel the same emotions. And I think that that is another very important connection that we have. So when you go to these places, there's this deep visceral emotional component. And it's so important because it's just something that links us all together and links the cities together and makes us as tour guides love our job so much. You know? Oh, yeah. I think one of the things for me that I've noticed of being part of this Beatles community, and we've sort of hinted at that whole thing of, about feeling at home in each other's cities, is when we go to something like the fest, it's something that I think John alluded to in Imagine, which was the whole idea of being, you know, no religions, no borders, no countries, is that there's this amazing Beatles family which isn't defined by a country, by borders. It's not defined by the color of your skin, how you speak, anything like that. None of that matters because when Beatles fans come together, there's something wonderful that connects everybody, that all those prejudices and biases that people may have consciously or unconsciously, they don't matter because there's this amazing thing that has been built around all you need is love, which wasn't just a throwaway line just to make a song. There is something so positive in that. And I think that's why being accepted into, into the Beatle world, I've made so many friends from so many countries around the world, which I would never have made if I hadn't been part of this Beatles community. And it, it's, it's something wonderful. And I think in a way that's something we were trying to do with the book is saying the four cities, yeah, they're important, but why they're important is because they're connected and the people are similar. And if you can connect people from the UK, from Germany, from New York, and find all these things in common, well, we can do it with any country in the world. Yeah, right. I think you're very much onto something there because I say this, I've been saying this for 47 years, my life would not be the life I have without the Beatles and the community surrounding them. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Mine definitely would not. I've said it before, so I, I think you're right. I, I, you know, I, I think, as I said, the Beatles definitely help a lot of us out of out of the dark periods, but they also create so many good periods. Hey, I don't I don't know Mitch and Tony otherwise. Right. Yeah. I, I never meet David Bedford and, right. and Susan and I don't go on Richard's tour. So Yeah. Well, whenever I do see Paul, I do want to slap him and say, Because of you, I know Rob Leonard. <laughs> Thank you. As well. Next to slap for me as well. <laughs> I'll give yeah. him a slap. You should I'm pay him cash. Uh, anyway, uh, that just about does it for our show. I just want to say that um, I've been on, I've hung out with David Bedford in Liverpool. And when I went to Liverpool, I just want to say this. I never thought I would care the way I did after I left. Yeah. And because my sister for my sister was in London for four years, her first three years, she kept saying, come over, come over, come over. I said, ah, what do I care? You know, you know I don't want to hang out with the Beatle nerds. And, of course, I am a Beatle nerd, but <laughs> but it was nice to see everything. And um, and David was especially nice driving me around. I mean, he showed me some places that aren't on the tours, you know, these places the Beatles played and stuff. And then I remember I was supposed to go to the Casbah at 4 o'clock, and I'm, I'm, David's driving somewhere. And I'm like, where the hell are we? I had no idea where we were. You didn't say anything. And I'm saying, well, am I going to get to the Casbah? And all of a sudden you make a left and there's the Casbah. I mean, and it's a house in the middle of a neighborhood. It's like if you were here on Long Island, it'd be like 
driving through Garden City. You know, it's one of these houses, and it's the basement. And, David, I agree with you. The Casbah probably is incredibly saved, and it is incredibly saved, and it's it's hard to believe they actually played there. It, you know, it's a seven-foot ceiling. Yep. You know? <laughs> and it's amazing that everything is still there out of everything. You know, the Caverns is a redo, which I felt very comfortable in. And I, you know, the, the two houses that are now part of the national trust, you know, so there's a lot in Liverpool. We know in New York, Richard, I've been on your tour. It was, it was wonderful. Um, the book We're is going to get to Sue's. We should do Sue's on Mars. That would be, you know, you, what? we need to do Call that me. together. Talk to me. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. Well, okay. Uh, the book we've been talking about is The Beatles, Fab Four Cities, Liverpool, Hamburg, London, and New York. Our guests have been Richard Porter, Susan Ryan, and David Bedford, the unofficial mayor of Liddypool. Thank you guys <laughs> for joining the Fab Four Free For All. My name is Rob Leonard. Thank you, Mitra Axelrod and Tony Traguardo. We'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Bye, guys. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Traguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All.